Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another surreal week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zalke, our healthcare director, is with us. Claire, good to have you. Good to see you over Zoom, Matt. Ah, Zoom. Like everybody else, we are using modern technology to, to not only to bring you the show, but to keep doing a lot of uh, the work we do at Citizen Action. But um, Robert Craig is also with us. Robert's the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Good to be here. Good to be safe. So we have a number of things that we're going to talk about. And of course, it's all um, COVID-19 related in, in many ways. Um, we want to just give an update overall on the current situation. Uh, we will also then get into how we're responding to it and how you can get involved, uh, which we think is very important. Uh, we're also going to talk about spring elections. Uh, it is a huge moving target here, and it looks like we are going to have an election on April 7th. Uh, we have uh, a discussion we're going to have, too, about how this is impacting healthcare workers. There's been a number of stories, both nationally and locally, about a lot of the pressure on healthcare workers. And we'll also talk about other impacts of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic um, on our lives. So let's get started. Um, as we record uh, this Thursday morning, uh, we wake up to uh, obviously the very sobering news that this is the, the crisis is getting worse still from a public health standpoint. There were more than a thousand U.S. deaths on Wednesday, which was the the highest toll, and it's uh, basically the highest amount of deaths in any single day. And that we're seeing the same spike here in Wisconsin. Uh, Wednesday was also a record uh, here in Wisconsin. We're not going to, we won't dive any deeper into sort of those kinds of facts. And I want to go to our panel and have a conversation about how, um, well, first give you each one of you an opportunity if you have any overall thoughts, but then I would like to dive into a conversation about how Citizen Action uh, is responding as a healthcare organization um, and get have a discussion of our platform and what we're doing and what we're really hoping is a uh, response to really uh, move forward in a positive direction. Robert, I want to I want you to kick us off. We all know that we're in a national health emergency of unprecedented proportions, and what people want right now is us to figure out what to do and save lives. And the only reason to look back and see how we got here is in order to understand what we need to do to save lives. And so we know the Trump administration bungled testing for at least two months, uh, underplayed this entirely. And if we'd done testing, we could have identified the chains of transmission, isolated them, and made this a lot better. But since we didn't do that, we had to put the, uh, the economy on what economists are calling into a medically induced coma. And so now we have twin crises, okay? We have the economic fallout and all the money going to try to stem that through the relief packages, federal and now it's going to be state. But then we have the response. And the response, of course, has to be social isolation, which is why Governor Evers deserves so much credit for moving on that when a lot of other governors didn't with his stay-at-home stay order. Uh, but that only slows it. And we get to a situation where a tsunami of cases potentially – uh, overwhelm the healthcare system. But the better we slow it, the more likely we are to limit that. But still, the scenarios are scary. If you look, the models are all available. 
actually now by state. And so our problem also with Trump is he's not using the tools he has of the federal government because conservatives don't believe in using the tools of government and don't know how to. And so the Defense Production Act, taking over distribution, monopoly, uh, monopolists uh, essentially, which were allowed to take over our distribution system, are price gouging and are the reason. And the whole system they created is a reason why we can't get protective gear for healthcare workers, just for example. But we're at the state level. This has put immense burdens on states. And so what we're saying is the states and state leaders like Governor Evers and the state legislature need to step up simply to save lives. We can't worry about we can hope Trump does better and urge him to, but we can't make it happen. And so on health care, what we're pointing out, there's an op-ed I penned with great support from Claire and the Wisconsin Examiner, we'll provide a link to that lays all this out. Uh, we're saying that if people have to pay for treatment and phase co-pays or deductibles and all of the ways you're, you're charged in health care, because the healthcare system has way more fees and hidden fees than cell phone companies or uh, cable companies ever dreamed of, but they're thousands of dollars. They're not $10. And so the result is, is that we, and we did a, did a poll, we released in very timely ways earlier in March, a poll that showed with the Health Value Hub that nearly half of Wisconsinites in, before this had avoided medical care, needed medical care in the last year because of fear of cost. And so what we're saying is free treatment, that free testing, which Congress has required is essential, but now free treatment. And that means using all the federal power already granted to expand Badger care as much as feasible, which is a lot, and then requiring insurance companies not only to cover the treatment for COVID-19 with no cost, but any treatment that comes out of getting the test, because a lot of these people, most of them who are really hospitalized, have underlying health conditions, and they can't afford all the other medical bills either, and they'll avoid care. And here's why that matters. To slow this down, we need to test everyone once the testing backlog is addressed, and it, uh, and it will be, it has to be, um, who has symptoms in order to break the chains of transmission. But then since it goes to the population among people who are asymptomatic and look healthy, we need to test everyone. And it won't happen if people are afraid of ending up with massive medical bills. And so obviously we need this as a country uh, permanently, but at this point we need it now to save lives and control the pandemic. So we're urging uh, uh, both the governor and legislature to do that, and we're actually organizing substantially around it. So I, I talked a little too long, so I know Claire has a lot to say on this too. Yes, Claire. Yeah, I think Robert, you did a great job of laying out why citizen actions, healthcare response platform, um, or healthcare platform and response to COVID-19 is focused so heavily on um, reducing costs associated with testing and treatment of uh, this disease and, and other things that may be discovered in the process of treating this disease. Um, that's that's really um, an important thing, and, and um, it deserves a lot of time to to explain it and lay it out. Um, the I think the only thing I'll add is that um, you know we are coming up with ways that we can organize in support of this platform. Um, I I think that we have a lot of members and folks out there who who want to be active in trying to push our leaders, our elected leaders in particular, to do more in in service of keeping people healthy. Um, I think the governor deserves 
a lot of praise for how he um, handled the initial public health response to this. I'm glad that Wisconsin was a leader in you know, all of the executive orders that the governor put out and closing schools and making sure that folks stay home. Um, but but now it's time to take it to the next level and um, and really like pass a, a strong, a robust um, relief package that includes um, both things to help the economy, like the happened at the federal government, but also just as if not more importantly, um, do the things that'll that'll help keep us um, healthy. And, and will help people recover um, if they get sick, because ultimately that's what's going to bring us through. Uh, that's what's going to bring us through this crisis. Um, and if you want to learn more about how we're organizing around that and want to get involved, I want to encourage you all to um, jump on this Friday evening a, um, a virtual town hall that we, Citizen Action, are hosting to talk about not just our healthcare response, but also how we're handling this from um, an environmental and movement politics direction too. Um, and so I encourage you to go to our Facebook page and we'll include it um, in when we send out this podcast, um, a, a link to sign up for that event. Yeah, and I'll uh, just follow up on that, uh, Claire, to say that that event will be from 4 to 5.30. And uh, again, yes, we'll have a link. Robert, your thoughts? Yeah, Claire is absolutely right. We need people to be really good uh, participants in democracy right now. In other words, the only way government works is people to be engaged. And we're figuring out how you can do that virtually and be safe. Yeah, believe you me. But I know maybe Claire wants to speak to this. Well, first, I'll just say that I talked about a twin crisis and the economic stemming from the failure to contain COVID-19 and having the medically induced coma of the economy. But there's also stuff to be done there. So we have a lot to say about the Green New Deal and climate and how we can do this in a way that protects all of those small entrepreneurs that are building a green sector in this state and how we can also plan for the climate future, spend this money in a, in a, in a smart way. So we'll talk about that on Friday. But I wonder Claire's thoughts. Um, the governor has done this over objections, right? There is uh, the, the legislate, le, uh, leaders of the legislature oppose stay at home, and he, he was talking with them privately, and they wouldn't go along, so he did it anyway. So did a whole bunch of big business lobbies. So literally doing the wrong thing. And now on the special session, they've made, they, they seem to be writing their own bill, Mr. Voss and Fitzgerald, and there's no sign, really. They've, they've thrown cold water on his first uh, recovery bill, saying we should just wait for the federal government. So, Claire... You're going to have to comment on that on the other side of our break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Before we took a break, Robert asked a good question for Claire, and I'd like to get Claire's response to this uh, general sense that uh, th there's a bit of dysfunction going on in the legislature. They are basically trying to, well, first of all, it's been very slow, but doing this alone. Uh, Claire, your thoughts on Robert's question? Look, state legislators, whether they are Democrats or Republicans, setting all that aside, if, if the message that they are putting out there is that we should wait for the federal government, that, that state legislators legislators should wait for Congress and the president to act, if that's the message that they are putting out there and really believe, then like that is professional malpractice, right? That, I mean, that is 
unconscionable at a time like this, in my mind. Um, and like the reason why we elect these people to represent us in government is so that they can act and they need they need to serve us. And sitting back and not doing anything is like the one of the worst choices that you could make as as an elected leader. It is it is skirting your responsibility. Crises are times when when they need to be stepping up and acting, not saying this isn't my problem because this is your problem. This is all of our problem. And if you are an elected leader, then it then the lives of your constituents are at stake, and there are things that you can do at your government level to make their lives better and to save lives, then it is your professional and moral obligation to do so. Um, so I do not buy this argument that's coming out of um, the legislative leadership that um, that they don't need to be acting right now. Um, I, I hope that that is just sort of smoke and mirrors and that they are actually, you know, willing to work with the governor to support the legislative package that he brought forward. Um, I know that there are a lot of good things in the legislative package he's promoting. Of course, I wish that we could just do them or that or that the state administration would just go ahead and do it. But if, if they do really need the legislature to act, um, then, then it's important that they do so now. Otherwise, we're going to miss out on opportunities for more federal. That's another thing. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I forgot to say this. Okay, the state legislature says that they want the federal government to act, right? Well, the federal government did act in passing this CARES package, this second um, coronavirus relief package um, that gives a whole bunch more money to states to pay for our Badger Care and Medicaid programs, except that one of the provisions in this package is that in order to get like the full money for this package, you need to have not increased your Medicaid program's premium rates in 2020, which we did in February of this year, which means that the legislature needs to actively go back and waive a bunch of the like provisions in how we administer our state's Medicaid program that Citizen Action opposed doing in the first place. We need to go back and waive all those, or we're going to be leaving millions of federal dollars on the table. It means that we're not going to get the increased um, funding rates um, that, that the federal government passed temporarily in this emergency to support our state Medicaid program. So the federal government did act, and now the legislature needs to act in turn so that we can avail ourselves of what the federal government did. There's my policy wonky rant. Totally. That was great. And here's what you're right about, Claire. Totally. That is, crises are different. Can you imagine what we do to a senator that had filibustered FDR's war effort when it looked like fascism might conquer the world militarily? We might have a man in the high castle situation for real in our dimension, you know? And so even if there were senators who wanted to and didn't because they know what would happen to them publicly, it doesn't matter. So I don't care whether Fitzgerald and Voss believe it. They need to do the right thing and stop doing normal politics. So they had set up this system where Tony Evers may be the only governor in the country that has to go to the legislature and the joint, or the joint finance committee is what they said last December to get waivers approved. There are all these waivers other states are doing that the federal government, even the Trump administration is allowing that we're not doing because uh, Governor Evers has to get signed off. And you know what happened, according to the governor's people, when they asked joint finance committee to sign off? 
uh, the co-chairs, Darling and Nigren, said, oh, we've decided it's not joint finance in the whole legislature, and they're not coming back soon, so forget it. That is not crisis leadership. That costs lives. People are not being enrolled in health care, and we're losing money, as Claire pointed out, because they decided to play normal politics. And this obstructionist politics needs to end now, and I do think if it doesn't end, they'll be punished. So if they do look cooperative, the question is, how much are they going to torpedo the aid package and only help big corporations and not help average people? Because that's what the Republicans in Congress wanted to do when Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer stood very firm and got a bill that still has too many giveaways, but one that is many times better than it would have been with, without the Democratic leverage in the House of Representatives. So I want to do a transition here, but it actually <laughs> – it's, it's the same conversation, and this is what's happening with our spring elections as a result of this uh, pandemic and the fact that we are still, as of Thursday morning, having an election on April 7th, which um, quite frankly confounds uh, and I think angers a lot of people in this state. And apparently it also angers uh, U.S. District Judge William Connolly, who yesterday essentially had the uh, – fortune of having to try to sift through all the garbage that is our polit current political dysfunction here, where uh, we don't have a legislature that even has a coherent conversation with the governor about how to properly respond to this election and this crisis. And it is just unbelievably tone deaf that we could have just talked about what we talked about, talked about how we've had all these executive orders and actually done a very good job from a public health standpoint of trying to get out front of this and then just have this giant blind spot that is this election. Um, and so where we're at is the federal judge yesterday essentially said that uh, has no authority to stop this election and that the authority clearly lies with the legislature and with the governor to solve this and was very harsh. Um, and I think uh, struck a chord with a lot of people, no matter what party you're in. I think a lot of people right now um, don't think this election should go forward in spite of whatever complications and hurdles it may have. But forward we go. Um, Want to get uh, your uh, your responses to this uh, situation and thoughts on uh, having this election go forward. Uh, Claire, you can lead us off. I've been saying, I feel like I say the same thing on this podcast um, on a regular basis, which is that I've been conflicted for a long time around balancing the need for democracy and protecting um, democracy and sort of the dangerous precedent that filling elections sets um, and balancing that with uh, the health and public health. Um, and as this crisis has gotten worse and we've gotten closer and closer to the election, um, I have come down much, much more strongly on the side of needing to protect people's health and protect people's lives. Um, and and I don't view that anymore as mutually exclusive from protecting democracy, uh, because ultimately, you know, the, this election is is going to be, you know, it's it's going to be a challenge, I think, if, if people are are sitting there at home like me thinking, you know, should I go to the polls? Should I not go? Okay, not like me. I voted absentee. That's a bad example. If people weren't able to vote absentee for whatever reason, and they're sitting there at home debating if they should go to the polls or not, um, like like that in that in and of itself is is a threat to democracy, right? Like voting voting should be easy and voting should be safe. Um, and so, um, you know, delaying an election could could actually be the thing that protects 
democracy. Um, so that's that's how my thinking has evolved on this, uh, and, and I'm curious to see where y'all are at. It's a threat to democracy, and it's a democratic travesty. All sorts of people, seniors, uh, low-income folks, folks of color, young people are being disenfranchised. Uh, people who have access to computers, they have the photo ID stuff still in and need to do something complicated online. You have to request the ballot, and it's confusing, particularly, if you're, uh, particularly for anyone who's not tech savvy, which is a lot of people in our state, right? And they're, they're keeping the witnessing requirement. They're going to throw out ballots that don't include a witnessing. And so someone who's single, including myself, uh, who lives alone, is going to be violating governor's, the governor's orders to get a witness. And they have absurd advice that you should set it up so the witness watches you through a window, sign it, and then you leave it inside a door, and then they pull it in and sign it and, ha and then put it back in the door. That is what they're actually proposing. OK, so the judge was right, and he excoriated the governor as well as the legislature. So we, we, we did heap praise on the governor for a lot of his response. But this is bad. The governor says he doesn't have the authority. You know, and this is sort of a, a change of leadership kind of thing. I would have freaking used executive authority under the public health emergency and let him sue me. And let's see if judges want to have this on their hands. Right, because this is a travesty democracy, and people are going to die because of this. Okay, with uh, some poll, uh, it, the number of polling places is ridiculous. The judge didn't think it was safe. A lot of others don't to, to vote in person. They're insisting. The election commission both didn't have the authority, uh, though we have friends on it, and was set up as a three-three tie partisan went under Scott Walker, so they could prevent it from being effective. Uh, and that when they got rid of the government accountability board. Uh, which, of course, uh, committed the sin of investigating Walker's what were crimes at the time he committed them. With that, we have got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Battleground, Wisconsin. For Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are talking about the spring election, which I think, um, obviously, if you... We're listening to the previous session. We're all pretty much on the same page here, um, but it is likely, unless there is some change uh, in the next four days happening, and as of today, we record Thursday, but most of you will probably not hear this until Friday, but today is the last day that folks could apply for an absentee ballot to have mailed to your home from the state. Uh, there are a number of opportunities that are increasingly limited in individual municipalities uh, that continue uh, through the weekend. So I strongly encourage everyone to check uh, if you're concerned about your ballot and to feel okay going outside to at least you, you know, you need to check with your individual municipality as to what your, what your options are um, in terms of uh, the availability for early voting. For example, in Milwaukee, we have uh, five different locations uh, that folks can go and drop off ballots that will uh, be going on longer. So, um, but there, we are going to have this election. Um, it, uh, as we're recording, uh, that judge has not come back and ruled as, as to like what other changes there may be. So after recording, we may find out that ballots are going to be allowed to be counted longer or some other things, uh, but it doesn't sound like there's going to be significant change. Um, so folks, we really need you to get those ballots in. And that includes, don't forget, 
when you fill these ballots out, you've got to have those witnesses. It's uh, it's very clear that a uh, number of ballots have already been, um, there's hundreds, over oh, I think 500, for example, in the city of Milwaukee already that weren't properly witnessed that have been sent back. So please make sure you uh, get those witnessed and that you really try to reach out, support, contact people over this weekend about getting their ballots in. Because the reality is, a lot of folks are not going to go out and vote. They're just not. They're not going to put their their safety at at risk. And so, please use your social networks all weekend. Please be encouraging, calling people, asking whether they've uh, gotten a ballot and whether they need to get it in, uh, because the numbers are pretty stark. We're I think we're going to be at a million absentee ballots out, uh, but you know not even close to half of them back in. So there are a ton back and we need to be on top of folks about this. Um, and then of course, want to remind everybody, right? Citizen Action has supported Jill Karofsky and this is an incredibly important Supreme Court election, which we're, we're barreling forward and we need to make sure that um, that we win this election. Uh, thoughts, thoughts on the election? This is gonna be a weird election because the for co composition of the electorate is going to be weird, and the state Supreme Court race is very disturbing because Waukesha has been leading the state in voting and certainly is in proportion of population voting, at least for the big counties. I can't say there aren't smaller ones that have a higher proportion uh, you know, up, up north. But that is a 10-year term. And just as Kelly has been caught lying multiple times in this race and is a, as Karofsky is accurately stating in her ads, a politician in a robe. And so we, and we're going to have him just rubber stamping decisions for 10 years and this election shouldn't be happening. So that's very frustrating, but we've got to get people out to vote. Then there are a number of other critical races, right? There's uh, across the state. And there are critical uh, aldermanic races, county board races, right? So people need to pay attention to all of those, a number of other offices. Um, and in Milwaukee, there's a very big, it's turned out uh, to be a very high spending because of the deep pockets of outsiders, uh, county executive race. And I think you all know that Chris Larson is an organizing co-op member and is endorsed by Fifth Action in Wisconsin. Uh, but uh, it obviously uh, this is a very uh, uh, difficult situation to vote in. And I think the, the judge inv invited lawsuits, just to be clear. And just they, the judge is going to make some rulings. So please pay attention to any changes that occur after we record. Claire? Yeah, this election is really important. Any, any election that has a Supreme Court justice on it, since they serve such long terms and um, unfortunately, of late, have um, have drawn strong candidates, strongly ideologically opposed to the values that that we want to that we do support here at Citizen Action. Um, so, so any election like that um, is, is critically important, um, and it, it's all the more uh, it makes this election moving forward all the more uh, distressing. It's <laughs> sort of. A few months ago, it would have been unimaginable that we would have a, be having such an important election, still holding it in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and every, every day for me, that feels surreal. I imagine a lot of y'all are in the same place as well. But but all of that is to say that uh, everything Robert said is right. It's it's still really important that we figure out a way for everybody to vote because um, this, this election is that important. You know, Claire said something very important right now uh, that I should have expressed, and that is, 
you know, what, what makes a leader legitimate in making decisions for us in this country, going back to the, its establishment? It's the idea that they have popular consent. Otherwise, it's just authoritarianism. And to have this illegitimate election, I'm sorry, this is like uh, fake, fake democracies that, and things that authoritarian leaders do are countries that don't have established uh, Republican, small-R Republican forms of government. And this is going to be illegitimate leaders, unfortunately, and a lot of them who might have won anyway who don't even deserve that. So I'm not even casting aspersions on any candidate for office, but in what cases the 10-year rule of, of Justice Kelly, if he wins, or any mayor or county executive or anyone else on the ballot, legitimately democratic under these conditions. And what's amazing is, is that elected leaders and even judges, because I don't know, I don't see why this judge doesn't like just postpone the election, get himself overruled, to be honest, given how he feels, not just excoriate. And as for Evers, let's say he couldn't use executive power, if he had stumped for this, and made it clear that it would have put a lot more onus on Fitzgerald and Voss, but he let them off the hook by having a mixed position. But we have to soldier forward. So sorry for being negative again. Claire is no, totally I, right. Please vote. I wanted to actually sort of tie up on that, that exactly what you said there is it, it's sort of the weightiness of what's going on here and so sort of the dissonance of how we the politics we started this talking about the old politics right that just doesn't do here and i feel like this whole situation is that it's like the old politics it's just unacceptable and we really we just need better adult leadership here right now uh given the gravity of the situation um i do want to close this out by um following up on a strand of what claire was talking about in terms of how this is emotionally impacting folks and i want to um, just say as someone who, you know, we all work for Citizen Action and, and have been involved heavily in trying to continue forward with these elections and let people know that that has been very difficult and challenging work for a lot of our um, organizers and people that we have working for us who are working on this election. Um, and it's just one small little piece of like how challenging this is, right? And I want to thank all of the folks who have been doing that work, uh, whether it be for Citizen Action or any of the organizations and the people who are trying to balance, um, you know, what's going on. And this goes right to the healthcare workers and everyone else who's actually uh, been leading um, in the situation, the grocery store workers, um, you name it. And uh, that leads us to where I, what I want to talk about in the next segment. And we're going to talk about sort of what's been happening to a lot of these frontline workers and sort of the response. And I would say it's sort of the, we said the politics of old, well, you know, maybe the business of old. Robert, I know you had some uh, final thoughts on uh, this topic before I, we uh, go to break. I just wanted to just be fair and make a distinction between Governor Evers and the leaders of the legislature. And that is, I have no doubt that Governor Evers is a good man and he just made a mistake and we can make mistakes, right? He's making a mistake. It really looks like the Republican leadership and the Republican establishment decided that holding the election these conditions was to their power advantage and that they're risking lies in order to try to win the state Supreme Court race. And so that is a very different thing, making a misjudgment or a mistake or something I could disagree with and think of the misjudgment is one thing. We can be upset about it and frustrated, but to actually do this, undermine democracy and public health in a pandemic uh, just to get more power is just it, it literally 
is uh, it uh, it shows how bankrupt the ethics of the Republican establishment in the state really are. So we're we're going to go to break here in about a minute. But before we go, I want to at least preview what we're going to talk about. Um, we have been talking about really sort of the failures of the politics of old, right, and our policy of old. And, and what we want to talk about in the next segment is how really this sort of the, our economy of old and what we're operating under is really failing our frontline workers uh, who are helping us, uh, leading us through this pandemic. And so when we come back, we're going to talk specifically about healthcare workers and the pressure uh, that is on them nationally. There have been national stories about doctors and nurses who've been fired for speaking out. Uh, but also here in Wisconsin, we have now had stories uh, both here in Milwaukee with housekeepers quitting uh, that we just, I want to get the panel's comments on. But we will get those comments after the break here. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin for Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Find us at citizenactionwi.org. Um, we are talking about the impact of the fallout of this uh, pandemic on healthcare workers. Now, Robert, I want to get your comments about the stories that are breaking here in the last 24 hours here in Milwaukee about um, housekeepers leaving uh, and quitting because of a complete lack of any proper protection. Uh, for when they go in and uh, clean up and, and, and do work in rooms where COVID-19 patients work? So there are at least two levels of problems, not knowing that, that are built in, that are systemic, which are highly problematic. And our healthcare system has been set up, by the way, where it's very problematic. As we know, because we're healthcare reformers, but it becomes very clear in a pandemic so I, I mentioned the, the reason for the, uh, for, for the bottleneck and the, the, the lack of protective equipment, because we allowed a monopoly uh, suppliers that was literally enabled under law in the 1990s in the Clinton administration, and then not regulated thereafter to create these monopolies, force down prices so they had to be uh, produced overseas, and then have very fragile supply lines and only a couple suppliers. And then when, of course, most of them are from China. When China got hit by COVID-19 first, it shut down the production plants, okay? Now we don't have the ships lined up, by the way, even though China's ramping up production again. So that's part of it. But another part of it is that hospitals to make profit, despite being by far the most expensive healthcare in the world, by far, uh, have been cutting staff. And so in order, in order to get even more profit, uh, nurses are understaffed, other, other, and paraprofessionals like CNAs are understaffed, and housekeepers are contracted out and understaffed. And then you throw all that on this system, and they don't have protective equipment. These are not uh, folks when they, in terms of these contracted out housekeepers who used to be or used to be union a lot of places, still are in some big blue cities on the coast. Uh, literally, they're, 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 they're being poorly managed by a contractor, they're understaffed, and there's no protective equipment, and no one knows what to do. And so this is sort of like a, you know, a, a whole lot of systemic problems becoming way worse and visible now, but need to be fixed long term as well, and the system needs to be reformed. But the result is you literally have housekeepers who need their jobs uh, desperately, you can imagine, right, uh, trying to support their families quitting to protect their own lives. 
And so that's the result of all of this. Claire, your thoughts? It's just another example of the um, of the widespread effect of both this pandemic and the um, failed response of our federal leaders, um, well, in the in the administration, uh, at least, um, because there's so many different ways that this affects our society. Um, that it's sometimes hard to comprehend them and just like hold them all in your head. Uh, and so um, like thinking about um, the shortage of personal protective equipment, um, like face masks, um, like, like that is something that we have been talking a lot about or thinking a lot about as a society as it relates to doctors and nurses. Um, you know, but a part of the narrative has not as much been about like the people who need to clean out a hospital room after somebody is discharged or moves from, um, you know, ICU to a regular bed or something, right? Um, and and that is, um, and, and those are also people who need, who need that protective equipment, right? Um, and they, they have been left out of this narrative to a great extent. Um, so I'm glad that we're talking about it. And it, like I said, it's just another example of, of how far, far reaching um, this, this crisis is. Oh boy. I I, al- <laughs> I also I also want to underscore right this you know not only is this situation really rough with what we're hearing in terms of just their their health being put at risk but it's extraordinarily disturbing that we're hearing that doctors and nurses and other health professionals are losing their jobs for speaking out publicly about what's going on and just having the ability to actually get some public truth and information out there like if 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 folks don't have that kind of support, I just don't. How, how, how do we even get yeah. information given the kind of information we're getting nationally, even from our elected leaders? Yeah, and our information, Wisconsin Examiner and Eric Gon have done great reporting on this. The information so far is that there aren't severe shortages yet uh, for healthcare providers themselves, nurses and doctors in Wisconsin, but that they're rationing them and they don't know how many there are. They're not going to get information. So they're very worried about what happens when the surge hits and the surge hits Wisconsin later towards the end, uh, towards the end of April, we're behind uh, a number of other states. And so there's that whole question. I think we need to bear in mind while people, as I said at the beginning, people people want us to fix the problem as, as we can. And even though, Part of the problem is the structure that's been created uh, by multinational corporations and the rigging of this economy. We need to make the best of that, fix the problems. That's why you need the Defense Production Act and the federalized distribution, for example, to make the best of it. But we should, as since we think long term, realize that corporate globalization and outsourcing and uh, race to the bottom and maximizing profits and taking the ball are, are behind why there is a, a, a shortage of protective equipment. But then we have terrible leadership in trying to deal with it at the, at the, at the top, at the federal level, from the president and the team he's assembled, compounding that. And we need in the state for Governor Evers to be able to step forward. He's doing it. The legislature needs to partner with him. And if they will not, or they try to undermine this effort, then we need to like literally uh, call out the dog, so to speak, because this is good. This is going to cost lives. Hey, I want. 
I wanted to add, um, and this is this is not totally related. I apologize for uh, making a little bit of a transition here. Um, this is, but Robert's comments about um, sort of the global economy and the role um, that profiteering um, has played in um, creating this environment um, where we have a shortage of. Um, you know, personal protective equipment and supply chain disruption and all of that, right? Um, in my mind, um, that triggered a thought that I've been having um, and that I've been talking about with some of our national partners around developing um, medical treatments and vaccines um, for treating COVID-19 and um, specifically the role that big pharmaceutical companies all over the, the world, um, but in particular in the United States, um, play in developing treatments and vaccines um, for this and, and their motivation for doing so. Um, and so we know that in general, um, big pharmaceutical companies are interested in their own bottom lines and their own profits. Um, I think they're very likely wonderful people, scientists who who work in these companies for the right reasons because they want to help people and they're and they're interested in advancing um, you know science and and whatnot. Um, but but the companies themselves are out to make to make money and vaccines and often do not do that because you take it once and then you don't need it again, right? That's why. Um, that's why there's more um, room for profit in um, drugs that you have to take every day or on a regular basis, right? Um, but now, because there is a huge opportunity for, for profit, there's this sort of, there's this race to, to be the companies that come up with vaccines for, for COVID-19. Um, and the federal government so far has not shown, um, President Trump in particular, has not shown any interest in moving away from our regular uh, mode of operating, uh, which is to in developing vaccines, um, which is to, to give away patents and monopoly power to companies who can help come up with these vaccines, right? Um, and, and that means that most people, I think, probably don't believe that once a vaccine comes out that it might be affordable. Um, and, and that's a huge problem. We need it to be affordable. But there is a precedent I learned recently for, for how we can help ensure that it will be made available. And that is for the federal government when the correct sequence for a vaccine against this disease is developed, instead of issuing a closed um, patent, a patent to a specific company or one or two companies to develop these drugs, to issue an open patent instead in which everybody um, who can produce drugs can um, can get a hold of the patent and um, produce them. And there's precedent for this. And that happened during World War II with penicillin. When penicillin was first discovered, big pharmaceutical companies were lobbying the federal government to get exclusive rights to producing it. But the federal government, to their credit, stood up and said, no, this is so important to people fighting on the battlefield that we need to issue an open patent. And everybody said, yep, that's what needs to happen. And all the pharmaceutical companies, everybody maximized their capacity, produced a ton of penicillin, and they saved tons of lives. And because of that, penicillin became and remains one of the most affordable prescription drug developed things. And so I know I know how to wrap it up, but I want to say open patents for vaccines on COVID-19. <laughs> I just want to add one sentence. There are going to be at least 20, 30, 40 treatments as well. Same thing, I would say, for COVID-19, in addition to the vaccine. But great points, Claire. 
So with that, we need to wrap up the show. Unfortunately, I wanted to, and I'm going to make some brief comments uh, about the journal Sentinel because uh, this is a, we're a media operation here, and uh, it is worth pointing out that the journal Sentinel furloughed massively the, yesterday a uh, number of its news division staff, these including Patrick Marley, Craig Gilbert, Molly Beck, um, Mary Spinoza, yeah, Bice. Bill Glover. There were a lot of folks who've been around a long time, so that is uh, huge news in uh, in the media world. But with that, we got to wrap this up, and we will see you and everybody next week at the Battleground Wisconsin. Folks, get out there and go pick your absentee ballots, and see you next week.